You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. Today I'm going to read you an exciting excerpt from my book, my novel, Running Towards the Abyss. Running Towards the Abyss is volume four in the Zombie Terror War series. The, the series will conclude later this year with volume five. Uh, so make sure you check out uh, Running Towards the Abyss. There'll be a link in the show notes. Let me set the context for you here. Uh, in volumes one, two, and three, the terrorists were deploying their bioterror weapon, which kills and then brings back to life. It turns people into weapons, basically, and they're able to infect others. And by volume four, the East Coast has been shut down. The power grid's down, the communications grid is down, and our main character, and he has been for the entire series, Chuck McCain. Chuck is the uh, head of the CDC enforcement unit in Atlanta, but with no ability, no way to communicate with uh, his superiors in Washington, with the the entire system, uh, government system breaking down, he's finally made the difficult decision to pull the plug to send his officers home to look after their own families. And now Chuck is attempting to locate his daughter. They haven't had contact in months with the power and, and, and communication grids being down and with Chuck being in the middle of the fighting trying to uh, eliminate the terrorists and the zombies that uh, would want to destroy America. And now Chuck is on uh, on his own. He's, he's on a trip trying to get to his daughter. Uh, this scene picks up where he's taken refuge in a neighborhood to wait out a winter storm. South of Carnesville, northeast of Atlanta, Tuesday, 1725 hours. Her head and face hurt really bad, and she was so cold that she felt herself shivering. Who was laughing? Was she back at the school? Elizabeth Benton tried to open her eyes, but even that effort brought sharp pain. She suddenly realized that she didn't have a shirt on. No wonder I'm so cold, she thought. Benton shook as she tried to cover herself with her hands, the laughter only growing louder. Elizabeth finally forced her eyes open, but then she wished she'd kept them closed. She was lying on a couch in the middle of a living room, and the big bald creep was standing over her, leering down as he took a drink from a bottle. In his other hand, he was holding Elizabeth's red flannel shirt and her bra. Another man, maybe in his 40s with greasy hair, stepped into view. He was holding a bloody cloth to his nose as he glared down at her. You're going to regret kicking me, little girl. I promise you, you're going to regret it. The room was illuminated by three candles flickering on the counter that separated the living room from the kitchen. The other two men were standing behind the couch looking down on her. 
She couldn't see them clearly because the low light, because of the low light and because of the pounding in her head. It didn't matter. Their faces were etched into her mind forever. The skinny guy with the long, stringy hair and yellow teeth. The fourth man was the one the others referred to as 5-0. He was big and muscular with a bushy mustache. He hadn't said much, but the other three deferred to him. Elizabeth had watched in horror as 5-0 had shot all three of her friends in the head and then stuck a pistol in her face less than an hour before. She had expected him to shoot her as well, but he'd changed his mind. What could she do? She couldn't fight all four of these animals. They had already said they were going to kill her. Her head continued to throb, but suddenly a soundtrack began to play in her mind. It came from several years before when she had taken a women's self-defense class. She heard her instructor's voice, Don't give up. Don't ever give up. As long as you're breathing, keep fighting. Give me a drink of that, Bobby, a voice demanded. Bobby handed the bottle to Five O and said, I say we get this party started, dropping her clothes to the floor and reaching for his own belt. Get her pants off, Larry. Elizabeth decided that they might very well rape her, but she was going to be dead first. She squinted as greasy hair reached for the button on her blue jeans, and she launched a kick at his groin. Her heel caught Larry full in the testicles, and he grunted in pain, stumbling backwards. Without warning, a crashing sound froze Bobby and his friends in place. They all turned towards the back of the house, not sure what was happening as the double French doors burst inward. There was a loud pop, and Bobby's head snapped back, blood spurting out of a hole in his forehead. Chuck stood to the side of the rear entrance and did a quick peek through the back doors. The four kidnappers were standing around a couch, looking down and laughing at something. He couldn't see the girl, but that had to be who they were staring at on the sofa. The bald guy reached down where McCain guessed she was lying and after a minute stood back up holding a red shirt and a bra. This elicited even more laughter. A middle-aged man with a bloody nose was standing next to the bald man and leaned down saying, You're going to regret kicking me, little girl. I promise you, you're going to regret it. McCain was formulating his plan. The two men on the other side of the couch were standing in the shadows. One of them was the biggest of the four, probably close to his own size. He was the one Chuck had seen carrying the AK. Nice mustache, McCain thought. Chuck couldn't hear everything that was said inside, but he did hear, Get her pants off, Larry, and knew that it was time for him to act. Suddenly, the man with the bleeding nose recoiled and bent in pain as a small foot collided with his groin. That little girl has a set, Chuck thought. Well, let's go while they're distracted. He reared back and kicked into the center of the double French door, shattering the frame and sending them flying open. He started shooting as he burst through the doorway, his first shot hitting Bobby in the head. McCain continued moving, stepping to the right and putting a shot into Larry's chest and another into his face. Stringing hair managed to draw a pistol and was trying to raise it as Chuck swung his muzzle back to the left and fired again, the two 5.56mm rounds ripping into his sternum. A third bullet punched through his yellow teeth and exited out the back of his head. McCain's movement had brought him far enough into the room where he could see the girl lying on the couch. She was shirtless and trying to cover herself, pulling her legs up into a fetal position. Get on the floor, he yelled towards her. 
She didn't move, but Mustache Man suddenly came up from behind the couch, firing his AK. It felt like someone had hit Chuck in the chest with a baseball bat. The breath was driven out of his lungs, and he felt his knees buckle. A second shot from the AK whizzed by Chuck's left ear as he took a step to the right, trying to get out of the line of fire. McCain managed to fire his M4 twice at the man and was rewarded with hearing a grunt of pain and seeing wooden splinters explode outwards from the front of the AK. Chuck's first round had struck the man's left hand that was wrapped around the front wooden handguard, shattering fingers and destroying the rifle. McCain's second shot had hit his attacker in the center of the chest, eliciting another gasp. Mustache Man dropped the broken weapon, rushing to his right to clear the couch as Chuck fired twice more and missed. The bullet to Chuck's sternum had slowed his reaction time, and he realized too late that he couldn't track his target. Mustache Man charged, knocking the muzzle of McCain's rifle to the side with his left forearm and throwing a straight right punch that caught Chuck on the left side of the face. McCain rolled his head with a blow, but still felt his adversary's power. His muscular attacker continued forward, grabbing Chuck around the waist, slowing, shoving him backwards across a coffee table that was next to the sofa, and then falling on top of the intruder who had just killed his three friends. The table collapsed under the combined weight of the two men. Chuck's attacker was on top of him now, punching him again in the face with his right hand and reaching for his throat with his left hand. McCain saw an explosion of light from the fist to the head, taking the full impact of the punch. He knew that another strike like that would knock him unconscious, leaving both Chuck and the girl defenseless. The attacker's right hand wrapped around McCain's throat now. Mustache's man's eye, mustache man's eyes full of hatred as he tried to choke the life out of the man beneath him. Three of the fingers on his left hand had been destroyed by the round that hit his AK-47, however, and he wasn't able to grip Chuck's neck with both hands. McCain was an MMA fighter and had fought professionally for several years while he was a police officer. Even though Chuck had wrestled in high school, he always preferred to fight standing up. As a cop and as a pro fighter, however, he, understand, he understood the importance of having a good ground game. His head had started to clear, but his chest still throbbed. Chuck had no idea how badly he was hurt from the gunshot, and with Mustache Man on top of him and clearly intent on killing him, McCain needed to end this now. From his back, Chuck viciously slammed both palms into his onto his attacker's ears, bursting the eardrums. The man on top of him cursed in pain and instinctively reached, reached for his own head. McCain shot the heel of his right palm under his opponent's chin, snapping his head back. And Chuck's left hand grabbed a handful of hair on the back of the man's skull. The body always follows the head, and Chuck twisted the kidnapper's hat head to the side, quickly reversing their positions, rolling the muscular man onto his back, mounting him, and dropping heavy, thudding elbows onto his head and face. Normally, after a few of these strikes, the referee would pull him off, signaling the end of the fight. There was no referee here, though, and Chuck needed to make sure that Mustache Man was never going to be a threat again, slamming powerful elbow strikes into his skull again and again. After it was clear that his opponent was unconscious, unconscious Chuck rolled him over, drew his Glock knife, and shoved the blade into the base of his attacker's skull. 
He wiggled the, the handle around until he was confident that the attacker was dead. McCain thought that he had struck his adversary in the chest with a shot from his rifle. When he searched him, he felt the, the heavy body armor, similar to what McCain himself was wearing, and saw where his own 5.56mm round had impacted the center of the ballistic vest. Chuck glanced over at the girl on the couch. She had sat up and was watching him, her mouth hanging open. She appeared to be having trouble focusing as she looked at him with fear-filled eyes. She pulled her legs up under herself and backed to the far end of the sofa. The left side of her face was swollen and her left eye was almost closed. Her bottom lip was busted with dried blood around her mouth. We need to get out of here, he said, trying to bring his breathing back under control. Chuck yanked his knife out of the dead man's head and cleaned the blood off on Mustache Man's shirt and resheathed it. I don't know if there are any zombies around here, but that shooting may bring them in. Who are you? the girl asked quietly, wrapping her arms around her knees. My name's Chuck, he said, forcing a smile. I was in the neighborhood, and it looked like you could use a little help. I've got a house just up the street where I was going to hole up for a couple of days and wait out the storm. McCain realized three things. He was still sitting astride the dead man. The girl still didn't have a shirt on, and something wet was running down his lower back and legs. Chuck tried to avert his gaze as he reached beside him and picked up her flannel shirt and bra. Here, put your clothes on, and then we need to go. I'm going to search these guys and take whatever they have that we can use. Chuck got to his feet and removed a glove, removed a glove and probed his lower back. There was no pain, but his hand came back wet. His flashlight revealed that it wasn't blood he saw gratefully. His sternum really hurt, but he would check it and his back later. The girl was having trouble getting her shirt on, and Chuck reached over and helped her get her arm in the sleeve. What's your name, he asked gently, trying to gauge how bad she was hurt. Elizabeth Benton, she answered. Are they all dead? Good question. Let me check. A moment later, he said, yep, they're all dead. Now let's get out of here. He reloaded his rifle and searched the four bodies. Mustache Man had been a cop. I never would have expected that, Chuck thought. Mike Carter had worked for the Franklin County Sheriff's Department according to the badge and ID he was carrying. Not much protecting and serving out of him, McCain thought, shaking his head and slipping Carter's ID into his pocket. Chuck stood and started to gather their weapons into a pile. The AK-47 that Carter had used was damaged by Chuck's round, but he found an AR-15, a Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun, a 40 caliber Glock Model 22 pistol, and a Taurus 9mm pistol stacking them next to the front door. Another AK, two more ARs, three scoped hunting rifles, and six other handguns were in one of the bedrooms. McCain also located extra magazines and a few boxes of ammunition to go along with the firearms. In another bedroom was the real jackpot. Ten boxes of canned food, freeze-dried meals, bottled water, several cases of beer, a few bottles of wine, and two unopened bottles of whiskey. These guys had quite the stash here, McCain realized. Where are you taking me, Elizabeth asked as he came back into the living room carrying some of the supplies. Like I said, I found a house where I was going to wait this storm out. You'll be safe with me. I think that punch to the head gave you a concussion. Chuck looked out the front windows but didn't see any movement. Maybe there are no Z's in this area, he hoped. 
He still needed to check his chest. It was really starting to throb with pain. But he was breathing okay and didn't think the round had penetrated his body armor. He'd get to it later. The, key, the car keys were in Stringy Hare's pocket with a heart keychain on it with the name Elizabeth printed across it. Is that your car they were driving, Elizabeth? She nodded and looked at him, her eyes still not focusing. Yeah, they killed my friends, grabbed me, and took my car. The reality of what she had just said brought the emotion to the surface, and she started crying. Elizabeth Benton has had quite a day, McCain thought. Chuck made nine trips to the Jeep Cherokee, carrying the weapons and supplies that he had discovered inside the house. There was even a large black hoodie and another T-shirt that would fit him. McCain saw that there were already several guns and more cardboard boxes of canned goods in the back of the Cherokee. Score, he thought. He would do a more thorough inventory later. Well, I hope you enjoyed this small segment from Running Towards the Abyss. This is a, a really exciting novel. This, is, this one was a lot of fun to write, a little bit different from the other three, but, uh, but a great story, and I know you'll love it, so make sure you check it out. Um, the easiest way to find my books, go to davidspell.com, and just at the top, click on Books, and it takes you right to my, uh, the, the list of the books. And, uh, you know, make sure you check them out. And while you're at davidspell.com, make sure you subscribe. Uh, I don't give your email address to anybody. I just use it to stay in touch with you. I send out three blogs a week. Uh, one of those is a podcast. And I do send out a subscribers-only newsletter that comes out once a month. That's a great way for us to stay in touch. Well, thanks for being with me, and I'll see you next time on Leading and Learning. <laughs>